Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I wanted to talk to you just kind of quickly about a sentiment in coaching that I think more people could really benefit from understanding. Now, a lot of coaches and practitioners already know this, but I think communicating it to the people that we work with and then athletes being able to really understand this and make some adjustments is really important. Especially if you're like a personal trainer or coach who works with the general population, how often have you been told, I can't do blank because it hurts my back, knee, hip, whatever, where there are these very set, rigid limitations that our clients have put on themselves. Or maybe you are the client. You're like, I can't run. I can't deadlift because it solicits this pain or injury. Or because you were injured years ago or you had a surgery of some kind, you now have these, a lot of times, self-imposed restrictions or restrictions that have been made by maybe somebody in the medical community, maybe it was a PT, maybe it was your doctor, maybe it was your surgeon, or maybe it was some random person at the gym who told you, if you have this, you can't do that. And I'm here (laughs) to try to expand that thought process or conversation um, because our bodies are resilient, but they're also like not invincible, right? Like, so it's really common and normal to have pain, symptoms, injuries, et cetera, through a variety of seasons of our life. Some might be old, nagging injuries that we've been managing since high school. Other things might be related to um, birth and postpartum recovery. Obviously, that's where I center so much of my work. But really, my focus is on supporting athletes who want to pursue a lifetime of athleticism. And if that is going to be the hill that I die on, (laughs) which like it absolutely is, then it's understanding how to work with your body and not against it. It's about creating options, not limitations. And I think the more we can communicate that um, as an industry, both in the practitioner industry and the coaching industry, the better off our like athletes and clients and whoever we're working with will be. Because so many times these limitations that have been placed on ourselves or the people that we're working with, it's not really supported, right? Like it's just a lot of opinion versus fact and absolutes. So I like to find kind of the messy middle with pretty much everything. So then you know for sure if you do have an absolute, like, okay, if you actually can't run, like, you know why, and you know that you've sort of, you've tried everything that you wanted to try, that you're open to trying and like, okay, running is just not it for your body. That it's okay to arrive at that conclusion for any movement, for any kind of fitness stimulus. Like you can straight up not like something or just not want to do something, et cetera. That is all fine. It's when we say, I can't do this 
because of that. Like that's where I, I think there's a lot of limitations and we need to figure out if that's actually true or if that's the story we're telling ourselves or if that's an in- inaccurate story that somebody has told us about our bodies. So what inspired this conversation is I did a Peloton ride for the first time in like a year. Um, I have had a pretty busy week from travel and just like a lot of creative process. So I actually haven't been as, um, I just haven't moved my body as much as normal. And normally my cardio of choice is jujitsu or running. And that accompanies pretty structured strength program. But this past week, I just didn't do a whole lot. And I thought I would jump on like a quick 20 minute Peloton ride, like honestly, just to like move and to get my heart rate up a little bit. It was dark. It was cold. I didn't want to go on a run. You know what I'm saying? So I thought, okay, cool. It's time to try this out again. And a couple of days later, I was on a run and I was like, God, like my hip flexor and my knee are so cranky right now. Like they were just kind of like hurting me. So I was kind of having to stop and adjust, stretch, reset, kind of like move things around just to try to feel a little bit better. Like I wasn't injured, but it, it just wasn't normal, right? Like my, my tendons just were a little grumpy. And for the most part, knock on wood, I am orthopedically (laughs) pretty healthy. I don't experience a lot of pain. I don't have any symptoms of any kind. I have plenty of other, like I have lots of issues in general, but I don't have anything that is debilitating your pain or really feel limited by my body from an injury standpoint. Thankfully, been there, done that right now. Pretty cool. But I knew that this pain was from the Peloton. And what it told me was, okay, like there was something about the mechanics or my position on the bike that created this this pain, this irritation of my tendons. And frankly, it's not, uh, it wasn't because I hadn't done it in a year, like I'm usually fine on bikes. It's just when you're on repetitive, like repetitively doing something that is not optimized for your body, it might show up in pain symptoms or, you know, different degrees of soreness. For me, I knew that this was definitely a mechanical thing that I probably didn't have my seat in the best position or like the angle of my, um, like my shoe probably wasn't best because it really is localized to one specific area. I can troubleshoot this within myself because I've been doing this for a very, very long time. I I know the dots to connect on when my body is a little cranky and why and what I should do about it. But it got me thinking that most people don't think like that. And a lot of times we've been told to kind of think in extremes or like if there's pain, don't do this. Um, You know, and this is not a Peloton problem. And it's frankly, it's, it's, it's more of a me problem. I have to make some adjustments on the Peloton in order for my body to have a better experience, right? So again, we can't have this black and white thinking where, okay, I'm never going to get on the Peloton again because it messed up my knee. Like that's not true. And that doesn't really serve my lifetime of athleticism, right? Because I would like to be on a bike when I want to. I want to be able to do a Peloton ride when I want to. Um, This just gives me feedback that something about the ride didn't vibe well with my joints. It's on me to figure out how to fix that. So that's one example. But what it got me thinking of is, you know, I have had so many people throughout my coaching 
career, talk about how, well, I can't deadlift because I have X, Y, and Z back issue, whether it's pain or herniation or something with their back, like, oh, I cannot deadlift. Deadlifts are off limits. Or I can't run. It hurts my knees. um, It hurts my feet. There's something about running. I just don't, I can't do the high impact. I can't do this. I can't do that. There's, again, a lot of stories. Some are absolutely valid attached to, I can't do this because of that. And I think where I would love to see more people stop and examine their movements and how we go about thinking about what our potential limitations are is change your mechanics first before you change your movement. So before we rule something out, before we totally change the movement that we're doing and saying, I can't, I can't run, I'm going to do this instead. Or, you know, I'm never going to deadlift again. I'll just do this instead. Before we totally eliminate a movement or a stimulus like this because of some symptoms we might be experiencing, again, whether it's orthopedic or pelvic health or whatever, try adjusting the mechanics, the position, the form, the intensity, the load, any of these variables to better accommodate what your body needs right now. For me on the Peloton, I know that it was like probably a seat and uh, like a seat position, forward or back more, higher, whatever, cleat position, whatever. Like I know it's something within that, that I would just have to kind of tweak and then watch the mechanics of my knee when I am pedaling. So that's how I would troubleshoot my own, my own shit. Right. But when it comes to say running, we have people that are like, it just really bothers my back. It just really bothers my knee. It just really bothers my feet. All of that is true. You are right. You are, I will not uh, tell you that those experiences are not real. And I would say a lot of times it's not running in and of itself. It's the how you are running. And is there an opportunity to make some adjustments to that? With running, a lot of times it is form, it's force absorption and it's force production. It's how involved your glutes are. It's your overall position, your gait, right? And if we can make a couple mechanical adjustments, the movement suddenly improves, the experience suddenly improves. And then we have to build repetition there so that the brain can really kind of embed this new pattern of producing movement. It's a freaking incredible process. We are, our brains are so powerful and it interacts with our bodies so, so, so well. And it takes a lot of like adjustments and willingness to not totally cut something out, you know, especially when we are outside of a season, say like pregnancy, like if you're having a lot of pain and symptoms in pregnancy, oh boy, we have a lot of variables that are influencing that particular season. So sometimes we can start with some mechanical movement adjustments for sure. But I feel like you reach that ceiling faster when you're like, and it's time for me to pause this. Okay. So there are going to be seasons and situations and injuries and symptoms, whatever, where you reach that ceiling a lot faster. So I just want to acknowledge that piece. But for a lot of us, maybe if you're not in something that uh, condensed, so to speak, we have the freedom to be able to make some adjustments to what we're doing and how we're doing it in order to have a better experience. And that would mean we're having, we're enjoying it more mentally and emotionally and our bodies are more receptive to it. I'm not in as much pain anymore when I do it like this. And that's a sentiment I hear all the time. Like I, when I was coaching Miranda, who's a UFC fighter, she was like the story she had told herself 
was every time I do box jumps, my back really, really hurts. I'm like, okay, show me how you box jump. And I watched her box jump. And she had said, and I honestly, like, I just stopped doing them because they literally always hurt my back. Okay. So that's another story. She's telling herself she's eliminated this movement because they were hurting her back. So again, I watched her box jump and I could see based on her form, like how she did her box jumps. I'm like, of course it freaking hurts your back because you're doing it in a way that like your back is having to absorb a lot of force here. Like it, it, that of course your back hurts when it looks like that. Right. And this is a professional athlete. This is, you know, this conversation really kind of applies to everybody. Every body can benefit from knowing how to assess our movement to improve our experience. So I'm using coach brain here, but hopefully using it in a way that um, is transferable to you or the clients that you're working with. So again, I watched her box jump and told her like how she was landing. She was kind of landing with her butt tucked under as she was standing up. Um, how she even was moving her arms. So there was just a lot of force on her landing and in the position of her pelvis. So I told her, I want you to land with your ass behind you. And she was like, what? And I'm like, just like, trust me on this. It doesn't have to be like this high jump. Like, right. I, I lowered the surface so that she could learn this new pattern. And I had her jump. So then she's landing in like a half squat. And then she kind of went into, I have a video of this somewhere. I'll have to reshare it. Um, she kind of like went into this, like I called it the dog shit position. If you've ever watched a dog shit, which I'm sure you have, um, that's like kind of what her body was looking like every time she would land, even with that correction. So I had to do it again. And I just, as she was jumping, it's like, okay, butt behind you. And like, then we're cueing this. And then we built up this pattern over and over where she started to feel like what it, what it felt like to land better for her body. And she's like, oh, like <laughs> this is the first time box jumps haven't given me immediate pain. Next day, how are you feeling? Good. Like, I don't feel like anything, like I don't feel pain like I normally do with box jumps. Okay. So that's one example. Another example we see is lunges. I can't do lunges. Okay. It hurts my knees. So you've got to watch them lunge to understand why does it hurt their knee? Or if they had knee surgery, okay, let me see you move through that pattern. What does your lunge pattern look like? And what can we do to improve? The ability to lunge, right? That's a pretty fundamental movement pattern. And if they are limited, whether it's by belief or mechanics, how can we improve the movement? How can we change the mechanics to improve the movement, right? Like we have to think about it like that. So then when we have somebody who can't lunge, maybe walking lunges is really hard for them. But what if we try reverse lunges? What if we try step-ups? What if we do um, just like they have, they're leaning into a wall and they do different like knee raise things in order to improve that. And or what if they use a PVC pipe to go into reverse lunge? So then they're holding something to give a little bit more balance and stability. What if one side sucks more than the other, which is the case for most people. We have to look at the whole pattern and make strength and mobility improvements there. So then we can actually say, so like you can do walking lunges. We just have to build up to that. Your body can, and we're going to change the way you do it so that you can have a better experience so that we are reducing your likelihood of injury or we're kind of managing the injury that you have or the pain that you have, et cetera. So again, this is, I know if you're a coach and you listen to this, you're like, yeah, I know. But like most people don't think like this. They're like, oh, I can't do, lock, I can't do walking lunges. I'm not going to do them. 
So we create these belief systems and limitations around movement that really doesn't serve a lifetime of athleticism. And again, that's like my main point that I'm trying to make here is avoiding movements because we've created limitations versus them being actual limitations is what we have to sort of examine, be willing to examine, because I think that our ceiling is a lot higher than we tell ourselves. If we have somebody who says they can't deadlift because it hurts their back a lot, like, okay, that's fair. Like deadlifts can easily hurt people's backs. Like it really, really can. It's a very common experience and a common complaint that we get. And we even have people in the fitness industry that are like, don't do deadlifts. Like, okay. Yes. Maybe for you, maybe for some people. And it is still a fundamental movement pattern that we have to teach people to do, because even if they're not deadlifting with a barbell, they're still going to be deadlifting a lot of shit through the rest of their life. Like they just will be like they, you absolutely will be bending over needing to pick something up and be in a stacked position with that load. We got to have some improved mechanics for that. And that's why lifting is such a gift. Like we can teach people how to move better throughout their lifetime by using exercise and exercise is not just about getting stronger or getting more conditioned or losing weight or changing body comp. This is really about how is this going to serve me and what I want to do for the rest of my life. When we can start shifting our focus into that, God, it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference with how we view the need to exercise. And it also really gives us permission to like, I don't have to deadlift 300 pounds in order to benefit from deadlifting for my own, um, my own example is I'm not deadlifting 300 pounds anymore. That's just not the kind of training that I'm doing right now. That's not the kind of training program I on where I'm going like up really, really heavy, but I'm lifting heavy for me right now. I'm lifting in a way that like feels pretty challenging by the time I'm at like, you know, three reps, like, okay, yeah, I probably can do a fourth. So I'm going to my own load capacity right now. And I, in order to have the benefits of deadlifting, the physiological joint, whatever benefits of deadlifting, I can still get that at a much lower load than what I was doing years ago. So we have to examine our movement and say, is this serving what I want it to ultimately serve? which is me being able to deadlift for the rest of my life, whether it's a barbell or a box or my kids, whatever it might be. I want to know that I'm training this movement pattern, keeping my joints healthy so that it's continually support me through my lifetime. It doesn't have to be 300 pounds in order to achieve that. So that's really hard for a lot of athlete brains to wrap their head around. It's like, well, if I'm not lifting like as heavy as I used to, or as I want to, then it's like, it's not good or it's not good enough or it's you know kind of pointless. And that's just not that's just not the case. We have to be able to make adjustments. And so when we talk about eliminating a movement or a lift altogether, we have to be able to examine why and then what adjustments we can make. So to try to tie this in a bow here, if I have an athlete who says they cannot deadlift, then what I'm going to do first is watch them deadlift. I can watch them deadlift a variety of objects, whether it's a kettlebell or I can watch them do a Romanian deadlift or I'll watch them do the deadlift um, with a barbell that they tell me hurts their back or whatnot. I'll see how they are doing that. 
what some of their tendencies are with it. Is it a tension issue? Is it a form issue? Is it a, you know, the position? Can we make adjustments to their mechanics first and see how it benefits the movement? And then it's just like this test and retest, this trial and error and having conversations and feedback and not just like in the moment of the rep, but like a day or two later, like, so how are you feeling from that? And we're not doing this at super high loads, but then we are going to do it at a load where it's like, well, normally this load is where I start to have back pain, right? Like, cool. Then I want to get there with you as a coach. I want to watch you get to that point where you start to have pain or you feel like you're like really limited by your body's ability and say, what are we doing here? Where is the breakdown that's triggering this sort of pain? Maybe you need a wider stance. Maybe you need a more narrow stance. Maybe you need to change your hand position. There's so many adjustments we can make. And this is for like very experienced lifters too. Like I recently changed my stance. Maybe I guess it was like this past year. I changed my deadlift stance and my grip actually. Um, And it's made a huge difference. I feel really good. And I've been deadlifting for, for freaking ever. So our bodies just crave and need different things over time. And again, like I'm not feeling injured by this. There's so much, there's so much to say for like being intuitive and actually listening to our body and then being open-minded to not just keep doing the same shit over and over and over again, way easier said than done because we want to hold ourselves to the standard of what we used to be or what we should be able to do. But there's a lot of opportunity to make some adjustments so that we can stay in the game as long as we freaking can. So instead of eliminating something completely, how can we navigate that messy middle? Maybe if it if for you, it means deadlifting at a much lower load, but that means you still get to deadlift. Like do that, do that. If running means like, okay, I can't run six miles anymore. Like my body freaking breaks down. Cool. Can you run a mile? How does that feel? Not that bad. Kind of tolerable. Cool. Then like do that. Double unders. Okay, well, I can't do more than 50 double unders because then I start to pee. So I'm not going to do double unders at all. No, like do your double unders. Do them. When you start getting to your threshold where you're going to start peeing your pants, that's when we scale back. We make adjustments. You you do something differently. Maybe you introduce a different movement or you break it up. So then your body's not having like, it's not so fatigued when you're getting to that 50th rep and now you start to pee. Like what if you did five sets of 10 double unders. Okay. Are we able to make, have that negotiation process with ourselves? Are we able to help our clients have that conversation? Because that's what really makes a big difference in somebody's, again, this pursuit of a lifetime of athleticism is it's getting adaptable and intuitive with our own body when helping our clients feel that and find that as well. So instead of creating these limitations, we have to create options and make a lot of adjustments as needed because what you're doing at 25 might be different than what you're doing at 35 which might be different than what you're doing at 55 etc we like logically know this we can be doing variations of what we are doing but the same exact probably not maybe we get better maybe we do it differently i don't know i don't know what that process is going to look like for you i know that now i'm in my mid 30s And for the most part, I feel way more athletic than I did in my mid-20s, for example. I feel like I'm more versatile. And I think it's because my training is versatile. I train a lot of different stimulus and I'm not being led through like my ego with like, I really got to push 
boundaries every single day, pushing of my boundaries means I'm just being disciplined and working hard. And that's not based on a number deadlifted or a, a help or a mile time or my average pace or whatever it might be. It's having a different measurement system. I want to be able to participate in as many things as I want without having my body be a limiting factor. So how can I train in a way that supports that? And that's where I think we can have a lot of improvement in how we go about thinking about things when it comes to our training. So instead of having this all or nothing kind of thought process, when you change your mechanics, you're able to change your movement and the experience associated with that. And when we have, when we can trial that within our own bodies, when we can help more athletes and honestly, just the general public, like create different storylines for what it means their body can and cannot participate in makes a really big difference. And it can be super empowering to know that it, it doesn't, it truly doesn't have to be this all or nothing mindset. We can say that all day, but people need practical tips and ways to actually implement that. Show me how to keep doing this in a different way. And that's where we can come in as coaches and really make a big difference. It's absolutely what I teach in my coaching certification so that, you know, it's it's expanding the conversation beyond do this, don't do that, which we see all the freaking time in the pre and postnatal industry, right? It's like the um, the green check and the red X, like that's not, it is never that, um, it's just never really like that. We have a lot of options and a lot of nuances with movement. And again, like movement and coaching, and sports and fitness, that is, it is just... God, it's a messy middle. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's a right for you. There's a like wrong for you. And it's being able to have a really creative and critical process and conversation with ourselves and with those that we work with. And I think when we can really like lean on the empowerment side, it can help with the making informed choices for our bodies side, because eventually we do reach our ceiling when whatever activity it might be, or situation, like we're going to hit the ceiling, say, this is actually as far as I can go in this movement, or actually like this movement is no longer serving me. What are my other options? Like it's knowing how to take it to the ceiling, how to push, how to push it right within our, our own ceilings, and then being able to dial it back, understand that, and then find a different way, find another option without it being like this sabotaging experience. So when we can shift our coaching and we can shift our training to really like swim in that messy middle, it makes a significant difference in the pursuit of a lifetime of athleticism. So if you enjoyed this episode, it'd be really nice if you could leave a review and share it on social media, how people find us. And again, thank you so much for listening to this conversation. I would love your feedback. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, 
three to four workouts each week and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you. And please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.